Turn with me to Exodus 7. Exodus 7, let us hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth mine hand upon the Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and, it beca- and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river bank, against he come. And the rod which was turned into a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness." And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. And thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their pools, and upon their uh, 
ponds and upon their pools of water that they may become blood and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, uh, neither, uh, neither did he set his heart uh, to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. This section reminds us how important it is to violate chapter breaks. If we look at the last verse of the last chapter, we see Moses saying before the Lord, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? That seems like a very poor place to leave the conversation. And so we have the finale of that, uh, of that s- summary of what happened in Exodus 3 and 4 in this first portion of chapter 7. We note here uh, that Moses' objection to call to the Lord, uh, Moses' objection to the call of the Lord to this work was that he was of uncircumcised lips. That is, he did not have the necessary qualifications to accomplish this work. But we see here a reiteration of that consolation that the Lord had given Moses by sending Aaron, his brother, who was more eloquent in speech, to aid him in that work. And so we have this this first verse here that speaks of God delegating to Moses to be a God unto Pharaoh, that is to be an authority over Pharaoh, and for Aaron to be his prophet, to speak his words unto Pharaoh. Notice as well that God not only did give him consolation in sending Aaron, but also drew him near as a friend to let him know what was going to take place when Uh, he went to Pharaoh. Notice that for all of the authority given to Moses and for all of the eloquence of Aaron's speech, God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay? He let him know that that decree was coming. And we will see throughout this whole narrative as the plagues of Egypt, uh, plagues of God upon Egypt are enacted, that we will see as the Lord had said. As the Lord had said. That should give us great confidence as God too with us draws us near by giving us his word to tell us of things before they will even come to pass. Of the glorification of the saints, of the resurrection, of these things. Those two we shall say, 
And they came to pass as the Lord had said. So when we see this consolation um, coming upon him and, and God telling Moses and Aaron that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, there are some objections that have risen over the centuries with regards to this very passage. We see Paul taking them on in Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 20. The objector would say, okay, well, if God is sovereign, such that he could harden Pharaoh's heart, how could God ever find him culpable? And if that's true of Pharaoh, then that must also be true of me. If, how could God find me culpable if he has hardened my heart in sin? Now the scriptures do not declare exactly how or the means by which God hardens the heart of the reprobate against his word. But only that there is a cooperation between God as the sovereign and the individual that God will harden. In all this, the individual is responsible for hardening their own heart. We will note as we go through this narrative that it's not only said that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In all this, the individual is responsible for hardening their own heart because there is nothing done contrary to his own will. There is no violence done to his will. He is completely desirous of the direction of hardening. And so this hardening of one's heart is part of that judgment of God against the reprobate that the ministration of the word might be the savor of death unto death to them. The blame for this evil, however, rests in the man himself who willfully blind themselves in sin. Now, we might not fully understand how this works. We have limited capacity to understand those things. And that's okay. But here's some things that we do know. Everything that God does is holy, just, and good. There is no fault with God. Secondly, we do not get to draw God into judgment. As Paul says, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? That's two things that we do know. We can take it to the bank. God's purpose in hardening Pharaoh's heart was so that he might magnify his glory, not only before the Israelites as he draws them out of the land of Egypt, with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, but also that the Egyptians and the other nations might know, as verse 5 says, I am the Lord. What is it that Pharaoh said just a couple chapters before? I know not the Lord. The Lord is declaring here that after these judgments, he will know the Lord. In section 2, verses 8 through 13, we note the obedience and confidence of Moses and Aaron in that they did all that the Lord had commanded. They went to Pharaoh with a commission, with a message, and with a sign. Having given Pharaoh the message, Pharaoh asks for that sign, and Aaron casts the rod of God before him, and when it is cast before him, it becomes a serpent. This is a true sign. When, Mo, when Aaron had the rod in his hand, it was wood. When it hit the ground, it was a serpent. 
It is a true sign. Pharaoh, however, did not request a sign simply so that he might submit to the word of God, but so that he might build up a plausible pretext for refusing God's word. Because what immediately happens afterwards? He calls in his magicians, he calls in his sorcerers. Look at that. Can you do that? And guess what? Through sleight of hand, they did. And that was enough for Pharaoh to say, no. If we're looking for signs, if we're looking for things, we're going to typically find what we want to find in the sign. If we're reading providence or whatever the case may be, if we want to find a reason to disobey, we will find it. Because that's our sinful hearts at work. However, we also see that the Lord, Jehovah, did not leave himself without vindication. Because what happened right afterwards? Aaron's rod swallowed up all of their rods. And so uh, we note here that in the, even in the face of this sign and then the vindication of the sign, um, we see that Pharaoh would not uh, soften his heart. Pharaoh continued to harden, as the Lord had said. There is no sign... That will bring life. Even if we should raise one from the dead. They will not believe. As a matter of fact. You ask most scientists. And they'll say something along the lines of. If we can just raise a few more from the dead. We can figure out how it works. It is only through the grace of God. That we are made to believe. In section 3, in that last section, we see the first plague of God brought against the Egyptians in turning the Nile, the life stream of Egypt, into blood. We note that uh, here in this miracle, it was done when Pharaoh went out to the water. Now, why was he going out to the water? It seems like he not only went out to the water, but he went out with an entourage. He had his sorcerers and magicians right there with him. And I think it's a good implication that he went out there to worship. Because the Egyptians had many pagan deities and many, uh, many actions of these deities that produced the Nile in their own mythological conception. So notice at the beginning that the Lord advertises the Pharaoh what should take place. And when it did come to pass, that he would have no other interpretation of this sign. Right? It would be easy for Pharaoh to say, well, yeah, the gods just did something. No, God doesn't give Pharaoh any leeway to believe that. So that you might know that I am the Lord. This Nile will be turned into blood. This first thrust of Jehovah against the Egyptians was a strike at their false deities. God was demonstrating to them that what they believed to be life given to them by their God would be their death and destruction. Now one thing to note here, because there are those who would say that the water simply took on the appearance of blood. Okay? That's not what the text says. It says that it is blood. It stank. The, and there was a pestilent blood. The fish died. And the Egyptians were loath to drink of it. We should not try to doubt God's word thinking that a sign has come upon. Now, for the magician's part, I think there was sleight of hand. You know, drop a little dye in the water. Look, it's blood. 
And do we not think that these men of these, this age were smart enough to know the difference between blood and, and water-dyed blood? Notice, for Aaron's sake, he was to strike the river, strike the Nile, and upon that the river was to become blood, but not just the river. The reservoirs of water in ponds and streams and in vessels of wood and in vessels of gold, there was no water to be had anywhere throughout the land of Egypt. If the Egyptians were to drink of the water, they would be drinking the blood. Um... Notice as well, again, the, the magicians do the exact same thing in the sense that they made water appear to be blood. That was enough for Pharaoh to have some small pretext uh, for uh, continuing his rebellion. But you have to ask the question here. If the gods of Egypt were so great, why could they not change the blood back to water? What help? was there in the work of the magicians to change the last little bit of water that apparently was there into blood as well. The comparison between all the water in the land of Egypt to this little amount of water perhaps that was left over turning into blood would have been no comparison at all. However, isn't that the malice of Satan in, in devising wickedness and evil upon those under his dominion, that he would not give relief. No, certainly not relief. But he would make the situation worse and then harden us to believe that it's helpful. And so the plague continues for seven days, a full week. And for all of this, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, as the Lord had said. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word.